Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined as ever by Will Schroeder, my friend, partner, and CEO, founder of Startups.com. I will be wearing the gray hat today. Um, we've we've decided that uh, it was time for a wardrobe change, so I'll be I'll be wearing the hat today. Looking good. I've combed my hair for what is now the fourth time since the beginning of COVID. Well, and as anybody who's been watching recently knows, I have none, so it <laughs> wasn't my issue. Ah, right behind I'm just you. Just trying to keep the sun off. Trying to keep the sun off. So, Will, um, we've, we've talked about lots of aspects of being a founder and lots of aspects of leadership, but there's, there's one that's, that's fairly specific. Um, and, and that's around, you know, as we lead, how important is it that we're liked, right, by, by our staff, by investors, by, by you know, partners, clients, everybody. Um, there's a whole host of people around us that uh, we can easily piss off um, and so how important is it that we're liked? And in your experience, like, what's the cost when, when we're not liked? Where does that, where does that go south for us? Well, <laughs> um, as someone who has been on both ends of the spectrum, liked and not liked, I know this is going to sound shocking to you, but this might, this is my admission. <laughs> Believe it or not, Ryan, not everybody has universally loved me. Wait a minute. You just sent out a company email that said yesterday, after 30 years of being universally loved as a founder and CEO, and I quote. One of the things I think, I know I screwed up, and I'm sure you probably have similar stories. Early in my career, when I was, when I was first getting started, uh, everyone was my age, right? So, like, it, oddly, it wasn't, I don't want to say this, it wasn't hard to be liked because we were all in the same boat. We were all, like, 22 years old. Right, like it was also everybody's first job, so they had nothing to compare it to. Hundred percent, right? <laughs> right? We we're basically just college kids that happened to be working together. There was almost like 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 no other commonality, and and so uh, at that point, you know, every night after work, you know, we're all heading out to happy hour and you know, c- kind of enjoying good times and w- what have you. And um, I found that it was easy to build a lot of friendships within the organization when never, none yep. of us were sober long enough for, <laughs> for it to be a challenge. <laughs> uh, but look, uh, what I didn't understand, I just hadn't, again, hadn't been through this long enough. What I didn't understand and what I would come to learn later is that the path of a founder and a leader to some extent is polarizing, right? Just yep. by nature, by nature, it's polarizing. And so even if things are all fantastic and everybody's just in a high five fest in those early years, early days, what have you, it's gonna change. It kind of has to. Right, because it has to. Yeah, as things evolve, you get into a lot of shit that not everybody's happy with. Right, you lose consensus pretty fast, and things start going the wrong direction. And, and look, even if you do everything right, you know, by virtue of the company, there's still somebody that didn't get the the position they thought they were supposed to have, or the company grew so fast and outgrew them, or they didn't get the raise they wanted. There's just so many versions of or, or uh, opportunities for people to not like you. Right? Yeah. Yeah. In my case, you know, very similar early, early company, uh, you know, mid college, we weren't even old enough to go to happy hour. I mean, we did on occasion cause there were places that was, it was possible, but, um, yeah, no, our thing after work was that we'd flip over, um, as much of the web server as we could afford to without impacting performance. And that became the Counter-Strike server. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we, we would run, you know, our, our own local game there, but then we would play against people in, in, in other places. And uh, it's a really unfair advantage if you've never done that. When you've got six people in a room who can all talk to each other, um, playing against people who are spread out all over the globe, it's, it's an unfair advantage. But 
Um, I also started in the position where most of the people who I hired, the, the first seven um, in particular, were all friends first. Right. These were people who liked me, right? They started by liking me. That's usually how it starts. And so I think, right, right, yeah. I mean, and, and even, even with a new hire, um, I think, you know, you, you sort of get the benefit of the doubt in the beginning, right? Um, but I think because of the fact that, and some of these were longer term friendships, some of these were, you know, people I had known six, seven years, um, which with that point was like a third of my life. Um, so it was the change from being liked just as a friend to then having to make some of those hard decisions and, and, and see people unhappy with me over something other than not letting them, you know, breach the door first and counter strike, um, it was tough, right? It was, it was hard. And so I think there's, there's two sides of the coin that I want to, I want to make sure we cover today in regards to can I, can I lead w without being liked? And one of those is, is it possible and practical to lead people without being liked? And, and, and we'll cover this in detail, but also as the founder, can you do it, right? Do you have the fortitude to be able to make those decisions and say, like, I can lead and I know that I'm not going to be liked all the time, but I can do it anyways. And I think that's a separate issue and one that we should probably try to unpack at least a little bit today. I think this also becomes a distraction. I mean, at some oh, point, sure. you know, you start thinking, well, I want to, I don't want to do this. I don't want to make this decision because I'll, it'll be unpopular. Right. But look, there comes a time, especially if your organization is growing where you actually have to make fundamentally unpopular decisions for the sake of the business. I'll give you a great example. When you go from 10 people to 20 people to 50 people to 100 people, those are all very consistent milestones, no matter how yeah. many businesses I've seen, where things start to shake up. Where the person who was the CFO, because they were the only person that took a finance class in college, isn't really a CFO, right? <laughs> and so all of a sudden you're at 50 people and finance matters, right? You have receivables yeah, to exactly. track, you have payables to track, and that person's yep. way in over their head, right? You know, they're way beyond what they could do in a spreadsheet, let's say. And so now you have to bring in someone to essentially take that job. This happens all the time. Actually, it happens if things are going well. Like, that's the problem. Right. This isn't that's like- the, the, Yeah. <laughs> Success begets this problem, right? This is, it's a high quality problem in that it comes along with success and growth. Well, so, yeah, and so what happens is, let's see, this person was a friend of yours, somebody that kind of jumped in early, and, you know, yep. they were trying to help out, and I don't care if this person's in any department, they could be in sales, marketing, dev, doesn't matter, uh, but the problem's the same. Company quickly outgrows them, and now there's not a role that's a, that has a C starting in it for them with their, uh, you know, capabilities, and so, so here's what happens. You're sitting there going, well, boy, you know, she really helped out in the early stages. She was, you know, super capable, helped get us to where we are, but she can't do what we're trying to do anymore. And now I got to bring in someone else, right? And so now I know that if I make this decision, she's going to be pissed. She's going to go to lunch with a lot of other people and she's going to be talking about how, um, how unfair this is. And, and fundamentally it is, right? It's unfair. She put in the work and she'd expect, you know, the return, uh, irrespective of whether she was qualified. And this is how it starts. It starts because uh, you're now making an unpopular decision for the right of the business, and now someone's pissed. And, and when people are going to lunch and they're pissed, they tend to talk about it. <laughs> they tend to talk about it a lot. And it isn't until the business has kind of um, uh, built some steam, some headway, 
until these things really start to add up. And it could be because you're growing, failing, you name it. Um, this is this is how it all starts. And all of that gets pointed to one person, most likely. Or not one person, I should say, one role, which is the C-level suite, right? Yeah. Where, yeah. where they're saying management sucks because X. And that just keeps on going. Again, if things are going well, it's because I'm not getting my due. If things are going poorly, it's because things are going poorly. But either way, what I think founders miss is that we're put on this pedestal going into this job. And this pedestal isn't necessarily all people worshiping us. We're put on a pedestal because every decision maps back to us. And whether or not people like it maps back to us. Before we get into this next topic, I just want to let you know, what we talk about here is like, 1% of the conversation. You know, really this conversation is going on all day long online at groups.startups.com where Ryan and I pretty much talk endlessly with founders about every one of these topics. So if by the end of this discussion, you like the topic and you want to dig into it a little bit more with Ryan and I, just head to groups.startups.com and we'll pick it up from there. The pedestal doesn't create a hierarchy of of, of liking or <laughs> of respect even it's about visibility, right? Correct. Essentially, all it means is that you're elevated above the crowd to the point where everybody's watching what you do. And okay, most of the most of the decisions do map back to us in some way, shape, or form. But even the ones that are indirectly ours, they're still ours, right? They're like, well, you know, my my direct manager didn't do what I wanted to do, but you're the one that hired him, so ultimately, it's your fault, right? And to your point, it's it's really tough, right? Because and it's tough for for both the founder and and for the person. Let's go back to the example you used, where where somebody just gets surpassed by the growth of the company, right? That's never how it feels for them, right? It feels for them like they're taking a step back, right? And they feel like, well, I was asked to create this momentum. I was asked to help create this growth. And I did put it. in the time. I put in the effort. I did it. And now I'm getting left behind, right? It's like, hey, would you help me push my car so we can get it to start? And then the second the engine revs up, they just drive away. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, wait, what happened, right? So it's really tough. But, you know, again, as the leader, you have to make the decision that leads to the growth. Um, and, and I don't know that there's really a way to be, to be likable in that situation. I think the, the best you can do is explain to them, how we got there, right? This harkens back to an episode that we did, well, all of yesterday, I think, um, uh, where we talked a bit about transparency and, and and kind of helping people to understand how we got to that decision. Right? Is it going to make them like you more? No. Is it going to make them talk about you less at, at lunch? Kind of depends on the food. Um, and but but at least might change the, the the color of their understanding a bit, right? Might flavor the conversation slightly differently. Um, and it's always important to provide that level of transparency, and if possible, their path forward, right? I think that's the other thing that that happens a lot early stage is that we grow so fast that we don't have time to, or we don't take the time. Let me say that. Let me say that differently. We have the time. We don't take the time to recontextualize things for people, right? Company just passed you by, we're bringing in so-and-so to replace you. Um, she's gonna be your replacement um, because she already has the skill set required and you were gonna have to grow into it, but we don't have time to do that. Um, and here's how you get to uh, fit into that organization, right? And, and, and find ways to make them feel as good as possible about it. 
not easy. And again, you're probably not going to cross the threshold of likability, at least not at that point. Um, but the door stays open at least. You said something earlier that I thought was interesting. You said that when you started, you were working with all of your friends. And I think this is something that's, that's vastly overlooked from founders. When we're starting out, we're working with people who we've built relationships with and generally have a lot in the bank with, right? Yes. Um, and probably a lot of good stuff, right? Which is why we wanted to bring them along. And so, so we have a lot in the bank. And when things start to get weird, where they didn't get quite the raise they wanted or you know this happens or that happens, initially we have enough to fall back on that it kind of balances out a little, right? But then new people show up. We don't have anything in the bank with these people, right? Uh, they don't care what a good time we had two years ago when we went on spring break. <laughs> they only <laughs> care exactly the decision you just made today. That, that, that is their entire history with us. And then you start to compound that. You add more and more and more people that don't have anything in the bank. And all they see are the answer of no. And, and, and that does not lead to likability. And our job has a lot of no attached to it. Right? <laughs> it sure does. Um, and, and that's the part I think for founders that we don't quite understand how incessant that is, right? So all the little no's that, that we don't think much of, right? Like Ryan, you're our CMO. So we talk all the time about, you know, can we raise a marketing budget? And the answer is no a lot, right? I mean, it, it just like, you know, we, we're limited at some levels of what we can do on budget. And so the answer is no. Now, I don't think, you, you know, you're super uh, frustrated, but it's not as cool as yes. Right. 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 No, it, it doesn't change I, your likability. I think it but, adds up, right. <laughs> but it, but it, look, it, does. it comes with the job. I mean, yeah. at its core, it comes with the job. And I don't think folks who are new leaders or certainly new founders really get how inherent that is with what we do. We, we don't get to be Johnny likability all the time. Like that would be cool, but we have a job where we have to say no all the time. And there's no version where people get told no and race home to their spouse to tell them how awesome that decision was. Right. Right. That's right. Unless the question was, Am I being let go? Yeah, right, right, right. No, right? There's the one exception to this rule that proves it. Yeah, no, it's... it's so it adds up. It's not... Yeah, it does. It, it, it's compounding. And, and like you said, um, over time, right? Particularly, you know, if you started with people that you had a lot in the bank with. Now, my first startup was, was, was built on, on mostly just social friends, right? That was just all I had. I had no career at that point, so I didn't have any career friends. Um, or colleagues or people I knew from industry or whatever. Now, second, third, fourth startups, you can start to roll that in, right? You may have different level of, of, of sort of banked experiences with people. Um, and so and then those, the mileage on those varies, right? It's very different than, you know, the, the, the kid that you grew up with that you also had three fist fights with that you got over, right? That, like there's that level of friendship. And then there's, we had a professional relationship you bring a lot to the table. I want you to join my startup. Again, you're starting with something in the bank. I don't want to belabor this point, but I think that one of the things to keep in mind as, as time goes on and you do start to add people in whom which you have nothing in the bank with, the way they view your decisions starts to become purely objective and, and, and zero subjective. And I think that's the main difference between people that you have something in the bank with and people who you don't can give you the benefit of the doubt and apply some subjectivity to your decision-making and, and give, you know, some color, some flavor behind, here's why he had to do that, right? I understand who he is as a human 
and I know he made this decision because of this, right? Somebody that you've got nothing in the bank with, pure objective, right? It's binary. I wanted yes, I got no, I'm going to go home and slag him off to my spouse, right? That's all I can do. But, but actually, think about every no as another seed, right? Initially, when you're getting started and you're bringing everybody on, there's not a lot of no. It's yes, you can join. Yes, we can do this. Yes, you know, it's, it's yes, everything. But then people get, you know, locked into their position and, you know, you're sitting on a whiteboard and you're not necessarily agreeing with everything they have to say, right? So, so that starts to bubble up or, you know, we keep talking about HR related stuff, but I think that's a, that's a powerful component, but that's only a component, right? And it's not often not as frequent. It's not until you start to get all of these little seeds of no, where that shit starts to bubble up, right? (laughs) And now people are at lunch and, and they're like, Hey, you know what? Like, you know, Will and Ryan said this one thing that's kind of fucked up, right? Like, and then the next person chimes in, yeah, I felt the same way. And this is how it starts, right? It's a whole bunch of, I don't care if it's a Slack chat, you know, a lunch chat, a happy hour chat. It's a whole bunch of chats. But by the way, don't involve you. Right? Yep, yep. And you um, will never know. Right? Where, where your cool boss uh, persona gets chipped away at. And, and like, I used to think, and Ryan, we were kind of talking about this earlier. I used to think that like, I'm going to be cool boss, right? I'm going to be hanging out with, you know, all my friends. I'm going to you know, buy rounds of drinks at happy hour. Like, you know, it's a high five fest. You know, company's growing. Everything's awesome, right? And then all of a sudden, I stopped getting invited to happy hour. Then I stopped getting invited to lunch, which by the way, if you're buying lunch and you're not getting invited, That says it all. Good chance you're fairly low on the likability index at that point. And, yeah. and look, this is a rite of passage. Uh, employees, team members go to lunch to bitch about their bosses, and bosses go to lunch to bitch about their employees. It's kind of that simple, right? Um, yeah, we don't really need to eat that meal. It's yeah. completely unnecessary. <laughs> right. Um, but, but until enough of those events have happened, right, until this thing starts to kind of snowball, you don't see it yet. Again, at, at first, you're, you know, Mr. Popularity. It's not until these things start to compound, and it's actually a factor of time, typically, until you start to realize that I'm going to make a lot of unpopular decisions. I'm going to try to make good decisions. I'm going to try to make people happy, but I'm going to make a lot of unpopular decisions. And over time, each of those seeds are going to get planted, and they're going to get they're going to grow in every one of those lunches, Slack chats, etc. And over time my popularity score is going to continue to trend down, right? My polls are going to trend down. But here's the thing, the question, and this thing is at the top of the episode. At what point does my likability still matter? And at, at what point do, do I start to get to a point where actually it does matter? You know, by the way, I just want to mention if what we're talking about today sounds like the kind of discussion you wish you were having more often, you actually can. You know, we're online all day, every day, working through exactly these types of topics with founders just like you. So any question you would have or maybe some problem you just want to work through, we're here and we love this stuff. And we're easy to find. You know, head over to groups.startups.com and let's just start talking. I want to talk about time in, in, this, in a slightly different way um, and tie it back. You said you used two words in, in, that last, in that last bit, which was time and growth, right? And I think that one of the things that starts to change about the decisions that we make are that people feel like we have more ability to say yes over time. That's the perception, right? 
early on when somebody's like, hey, can we order a pizza for everybody tonight? And you're like, um, we have zeros of dollars, no clients, <laughs> and a bunch, of, uh, a bunch of payables, right? So they get it, right? The minute the company starts to look like it's doing well, right? All of a sudden, the expectation that you can start to say yes changes. As the company grows, the expectation um, that not only you can say yes, but that you should because I was part of that. You know, going back to what we said before, we asked everybody to contribute to all of this stuff, and they did. And now we've grown beyond them, or we've just grown to a point where they feel like they could say yes. It might be a full replacement. It might just be something that they want that we can't give them at that time. Could be a tool. Could be a, uh, could be a subordinate. Could be so uh, another things. teammate. Could be so many things, right? Um, and I remember early on in that, well, not too early on, about a year into that business, um, at one point, selectively opening up the books to somebody who didn't have a reason to see the books, other than they were incessantly bothering me with a question that required finances that we just simply didn't have. What they saw were booking new clients, um, money coming in. Everybody assumes you have more money than you do. Everybody assumes we have more money than we did. So then I, I showed them. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to open up everything to you, but here's our checking balance right now. Would you still like that thing that you want that's going to cost three times what we have in our checking right now and bankrupt us so that you can have that thing that you wanted? And, and that changed the conversation very well. Now, did it make him like me anymore? No. But it gave him that context around why. And, and this is really less about um, how this impacts likability, more just about how those decisions start to become more necessary um, and the expectations start to shift. Again, this goes back to some of that objectivity versus subjectivity. Um, you know, they were looking at it subjectively and saying, hey, the company's growing, um, therefore you should be able to do this thing. Well, objectively, we just couldn't, right? Okay, I surrender my soapbox. But what about when decisions don't map back to you, right? In other words, you have two people in a department that just, well, that just don't agree, right? So they've created the problem, right? But again, this is, how, this is where the multiplicity comes in. The more people that get added, the more things that can go wrong that end up, you know, the, the blame shifts to you. So you got two people, you got two developers, and they both have a different direction in which they want to take the technology, right? And maybe you both have their own merits, but it maps back to you to choose one. Now, you didn't create this problem, right? This isn't something where you're like, I don't have enough money in the bank. But ultimately, you have to pick a side. In the moment you do, again, whoever you didn't pick is running home saying, go fuck him, right? And, and, and again, this is where it starts. As, as the management of any company, you know, certainly within the founding team, et cetera, you are at the nexus of pissing everyone off. <laughs> and, and people don't realize that because when you say, uh, hey, I can't give you the raise or I can't make this expenditure, they forget that they're just thinking it's just you and them. Right. Right? Yep. They forget that you had to have this same friggin' conversation with 10 other people today. Right? Yep. And you pissed all of them off too. Yep. yep. Um, at its core, it comes with the job. Right? It's, it's kind of what we signed up for. However... If we're early in this job, you know, if we're really early in this job, we just haven't seen it yet. And so we just don't know what's coming. So we're like, ah, I, I want to be likable, right? I want everybody to like me. And it's like, well, it ain't easy, right? It's not easy. It's not even necessarily possible. Um, it's also not even necessary, right? I mean, it'd be nice. Uh, it'd be a nice to have, but it's definitely not a necessity. You could maybe not be liked, but you have to be respected 
You know, I think that goes with nearly any job, whether you're, you're the parent or the president uh, of a country. Um, you have to be respected, right? The moment you lose that, you're screwed. And so let's just dig into that a little bit and kind of, you know, where that line is drawn because there are, <laughs> there are no lack of leaders who were very unlikable, but kind of got the job done, right? Uh, um, you look at almost every tech leader. <laughs> People see Elon Musk, right? Elon Musk does so much weird shit, right? But if Tesla's stock is up 10x, everyone's okay with it, right? Try smoking pot on Joe Rogan while your stock is going down 10x and see how people respond to that, right? At the end of the day, he can, he can deal with, you know, people looking at him, oh, okay, that's weird, if he's respected. And the respect comes with the outcomes, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, in that case, it's, yeah, right? They can, they can respect the outcomes. The decision-making at, at a personal level was sometimes very, very weird stuff, um, but the professional decision-making, um, they could agree with, right? And they could understand. And it was contextualized by the results. Um, pull another example. Uh, Steve Jobs, right? Not known as being particularly likable or even... Like, I think he went out of his way to be unlikable. Yeah, he was just known for being really, really hard to work with, hard to work for, um, irrational at times, you know, uh, flying off the handle, temper, you name it, right? Like, really bad behaviors. And yet, because of the results that he drove and demanded, um, and, and the results that he created, not just for the company, but for the people that worked for him, right? Because there's a lot of those stories, too, where it's like, yeah, he was an asshole, and I hated most of the time that I spent working for him, but I learned a ton and I grew as a person. This is not a license to go be an asshole to people under the guise of pushing them and making them better people because you're an asshole of a leader. That's not what I just said. Right? We're using these to, to sort of illustrate a point here. Um, don't just go be a jerk for the sake of being a jerk because it's like, oh, well, it's, a, it's a great management philosophy. It's not. It is not. Um, but outcomes can Trump uh, behaviors, right? And, and, and likability, right? And so, especially in the case of Steve Jobs, um, the things he did with Apple uh, uh, gave him enough respect that his respect carried him through the tide of his shitty behaviors. Let's investigate and kind of just unpack both ends of that, um, of, of that process. So on the one end, you have respected but not liked, and on the other end, you have liked but not respected, right? Both are a problem. So we were just talking about respected, not liked. And you can take it to a certain degree, right? People can respect you, but if they just actually really hate you, then you're only going to be able to have so many wins before you have a palace revolt, right? I mean, if, if everybody's going home saying like, what a jerk this person is, it does not take very long before you make one slip up, Steve Jobs is in the 80s, and you're out of a job, right? Yeah. Um, and so, so to be fair, if, if you totally overlook the being liked part, if you're kind of just an a-hole, um, you can only outcome that so long before eventually people are like, you know, actually just don't like you. And, and at that point, you've got, you know, pitchforks at the drawbridge and, and people are like, just, <laughs> we hate you, right? Right. Yeah. At some point, the, the, I think that, I think that the, 
the lack of respect or the dislike can grow geometrically, but the outcomes required to overcome that have to grow exponentially, right? You can't be an asshole and be running a mid-sized revenue company that gains and nobody notoriety for having worked there, right? Now, if you're growing Apple and you're creating these crazy, crazy life-changing products, outcomes, you know, stock prices through the roof, that exponentiality buys you more geometric asshole tolerance, right? But you, you can't be an exponential asshole and, and exponential returns, right? Like it, one has to really outweigh the other. Um, in, in this case, to remain positive, those, those big outcomes have to be there, right? If early on in a startup company, nobody's sticking around if you're an exponential asshole creating geometric outcomes. It just doesn't happen. Let's move the slider to the other end of that spectrum. You are Johnny Fun Times. Everyone loves you, but you suck at your job, right? Um, people will tolerate, actually, they'll tolerate a lot more of your incompetence if, if you're also likable until you actually have to map that back to demonstrable results, at which point the likability just doesn't last anymore. I would say this, your, your job longevity is actually much better as being an asshole who gets shit done. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> than being the nicest person in the world that's incompetent. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, nice doesn't sign paychecks, right? Like, it, or, well, it can sign them, but it doesn't, doesn't necessarily, you know, ensure that there's any money behind them. Yeah, so what we're saying is you have to be able to balance, you know, those, the, the results um, and the behaviors, right? Like, yeah, you can be the most likable person in the world, um, but if you're so bad at your job, other than, you know, making people like you, that you've got no money in the bank to pay paychecks, that runs dry pretty quick, right? People are like, super great guy. It's going to feel really bad to let him know I'm leaving, but I'm leaving, right? At some point, you got to make practical decisions. Build on that. I think part of how we end up getting there is we're afraid to make hard decisions because we don't want to lose our likability, right? You know, sometimes, you don't have to be an a-hole necessarily, but sometimes the best decision is really unpopular, right? For example, uh, during COVID, for many companies, the best decision was laying off a third of the staff. Try to win a popularity contest on that vote, right? But it was the best decision. Uh, painful. Again, it, it sucks for anybody to do it, but it's the best decision. Now think about that. If I'm sitting here going, man, if I do that, I'm going to be really unpopular. And again, this isn't just an ego thing. It's just like, hey, I'm going to lose, you know, so much in the bank with so many people. You know, people are going to be at lunch, just, you know, you know adding a lot of expletives to my name. Um, and, and everything is going to suck. And I don't make that decision, right? I don't go forward because I'm afraid of, of again, the folks with the pitchforks at the gate then I've also gone the wrong direction, right? Because in that case, I'm more concerned with everybody being happy than the decision being put together, or the, the business being put together right. And th that's actually just as fatal. Correct. And, and that, has, that has a short-term gain with, with long-term consequences, right? Like that, you're, you're just putting up a facade at that point, um, keep everybody happy, you know, pretend nothing's wrong. And then instead of letting go of a third of the staff, the entire staff gets let go. The company has to get mothballed. Um, yeah, COVID was, was such a crucible for this. I, and I'm sure you got the same thing. I had a lot of people calling me, 
um, employees of startup companies saying, look, you know, you, you know how these things work. Um, what happens next? Right. Like they just let go of a third of our staff. Is that writing on the wall? Does that mean that, that, that I'm going to be next? Is this just a matter of time? And I said, well, I don't know. And he's like, but here's, here's what I can tell you. They didn't let go of a third of the staff because it was fun. They didn't let go of a third of the staff because, oh boy, that'll pad bottom line. They let go of a third of the staff to make sure that the other two thirds could, could maintain their paychecks, keep the company going, and hopefully be able to then rehire that other third at some point, right? This was the decision that was made, right? They're bailing water, right? You can't just sit and take it on until you sink. And so I said, does this mean that you're not going to be in the next round of layoffs? I have no way of knowing that. It's like, but um, this isn't necessarily just, you know, oh, well, a third of the people were let go. That's the canary in the coal mine. Eventually the entire company's going under. No, these are the decisions that get made so that the company doesn't go under. Likeable? No. Necessary? Yeah. But, but hold on, but you said something within that that I think is really important. It was how it was delivered. Because if we're trying to, you know, look at at both ends of the spectrum, you know, uh, the jerk that's unliked or, or, or the most popular person uh, that doesn't get the job done, um, and really the spectrum doesn't exactly work like that. It's more quadrants, but whatever. Um, at its core, what you just said is it's about being a good human. A good human is the kind of person that can make hard decisions while still caring about how people feel, right? Being thoughtful in how they present that right? Um, be able to allow their own vulnerability to show through to say, Hey, look, you know, I, I have to let you go. Um, or I can't promote you or, you know, you know, whatever, whatever these types of decisions are, but here's how I arrived at that decision. Here's what concerns me. You know, here's, um, it's just being a good human, like, like being open with how you feel and being empathetic with how other people feel. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I can tell you actually, it's a, it's a great point. And in, I would say, I could probably put it at 100% of those calls that I had and the discussions that I had with these folks that it mapped back to a lack of transparency, right? It was like a third of the staff is gone, um, but there was no context. There was, there was no discussion of how this impacts the trajectory of the company. Here's why we did this. Um, you know, at, at best they gave them, you know, we had to cut those costs because we couldn't sustain them. Okay, well, great. But what does that mean, right? So... And, and what does that mean to me, right? And I have no idea how they communicated with the people that were let go, um, but I can tell you that the communication was definitely subpar in all of these cases. Otherwise, people wouldn't have been calling me, right? <laughs> Somebody who's completely removed from the situation, right? So what they were looking for, to your point, was a good human who they felt like could give them some understanding of the situation, right? Which absolutely should have come from their leadership, right? Now, why didn't their leadership do this? Um, maybe they were afraid to have the conversations. Maybe, uh, maybe they, you know, they, they didn't take the time to do it. There's a lot of reasons why it might not have happened. Um, could have been the likability factor, right? Like, I'd just rather not tell you why we had to do this, um, because it was an unpopular decision. So I'm just going to avoid the conversation around it, right? That, I would say, almost always a mistake, right? You can't just leave things unsaid. You have to have that communication, have to have that transparency have that vulnerability. Um, you know, I've had days like that where, you know, I've had to have conversations with six, seven, eight, ten people, and nobody walked out of the room happy. But I made sure that they all walked out of the room informed, 
I made sure they understood how I felt. I made sure that they understood that I wanted to know how they felt. I didn't always get that. I wasn't always given that opportunity, right? And, and that would have been, you know, it, it was their privilege, right? To, to tell me how they felt or not. Um, <clears throat> you can sort of gauge, right? Um, but, you know, the, the important thing there was being human in that moment, delivering whatever the news, whatever the outcome was that was unpopular, that, you know, led to me being liked less in that day. Um, but it was important to me that everybody that walked out that door was treated like a human by a human. And I, I think that goes so far um, in terms of, again, you may not maintain likability in that moment. Um, it's, not, it's not a popularity contest, as you've said several times, but at least it leaves the door open for humanity and maybe return to likability, right? They may not like that decision. Also doesn't mean they're going to hate you forever. Uh, you brought up a really great point a couple weeks ago in, in another episode when we were talking about, you know, uh, failure and, and that it's about severity and duration, right? So what is the severity of this decision that I'm making in terms of how it impacts this person? And what's the duration, right? Very, very few things in startups are forever, um, including startups themselves, sadly. Um, but I think that those are two things that we need to constantly remind ourselves that, you know, there, there is a severity of this decision, right? No, you're not getting the full raise you want versus I'm cutting your pay, right? Severity on those two things are very different, but we'll revisit this next year or we'll revisit this in three months, right? There's your severity and your window of duration in terms of when can I repair this? When can I regain some of that likability? When can I repair this relationship a little bit? A big part of it for um, for managers, founders, what have you that are uh, getting into this is that as the organization grows, you have more and more people that aren't connected directly to you, right? Reports of reports. And so the moment that happens, the moment you're one degree away from someone, two degrees, three degrees, it doesn't matter, your stock plummets, right? Because every decision someone doesn't agree with, <laughs> yep. there is nameless, faceless, amorphous management that made that decision. And in the history of anybody using the word management, it's never been followed up with how awesome they are, right? It's like when people talk about the government, <laughs> right? right? They, they never follow that up with how awesome the government is, right? And, and what that always means is the, the moment they use them and they, and, you know, and, and, and you know, these connectors that basically say, I don't know who that person is, you're screwed. And that's inherent in the, in the organization getting bigger. It's also inherent in how you divide the organization. You know, the less flat the organization gets, the more points you lose. Because fundamentally, people don't know who you are. They just heard that Ryan and Will had to make cuts. And, you know, there are two or three uh, legs down the org chart. And they just lost their job. There's no version where they see the humanity or the reason or the thinking or anything else like that. They just heard job lost came back to those guys, those guys are a-holes. And I think uh, when, when we're thinking through that as, as, as founders, as managers, when we're thinking through how this organization is going to grow, right? When we start to think through, hey, as this thing gets bigger, I'm going to have fewer and fewer opportunities to create goodwill and fundamentally to be liked. But ultimately, I have to make sure that as decisions come across that may be unpopular, that my humanity comes through so that I'm also not this cardboard villain. And I think once I get painted as the cardboard villain that, you know, things are going wrong and this person has no humanity, you know, the Mark Zuckerberg, you know, uh, kind of effigy, um, 
it goes south very fast because at that point, nothing you do buys any sort of goodwill, right? And it just compounds once again. Yeah, yeah. After the fact, very little you can do. I, I think I think there's a number of things you can do to to seed some goodwill. Um, one of those being opening yourself up for those conversations, right? You might be two or three degrees removed from that individual, um, but I think having open and honest conversations with your management and saying, like, look, um, I want you to own the good outcomes that you create. Um, there are going to be times where you're forced into making decisions that are going to be unpopular. Involve me in those. Involve me in the decision. Involve me in the communication. Let me deliver some of that message. Um, doesn't mean that you're taking the, the full brunt of it. You're, you're taking full responsibility for the decision. Um, because managers do need to own that their own decisions. They need to own their, their, their weight of the, of the organization. Um, but I think that you're, you're building goodwill with your management team at that point. Um, and you're, you're maintaining some goodwill with, with the person who's on the wrong end of that decision. Let's just stick with HR. It's, if somebody had to get fired, not only are you maintaining good, uh, you know, you're probably not maintaining a ton of goodwill with that person, but everybody else who's at that same level in the organization will appreciate the fact that you came down off the pedestal and had the conversation personally with that person. Um, and, and we've done this before, right? And it's not just the person who's being let go that needs that conversation. It was the three people that they sat next to. It's the four, five people that they went to lunch with. And by the way, we'll still go to lunch with even after they're not in the organization. And guess what still happens? They still complain about you, right? It's like maybe even more so at this point, right? <laughs> no getting around that. Yeah. Um, and, and so look, man, you know, can we lead without being liked? And that, that, that's you know, kind of where we started with this. And I think the answer is yes, but, right? Yes, we can lead without being liked. We have to be respected. Like, like that's that at its core. But I think we have to look at likability as something we don't want to totally lose sight of. Hey, the organization's growing. Everybody's stock price is going up. So, you know, who cares what they think about me? I think is a recipe for disaster too. Because as soon as you lose the humanity, and I think at its core, that's what we're talking about. Maintaining the humanity, letting people understand that you're vulnerable, letting people understand that you care, right? These aren't just decisions being made in a vacuum. Giving people the blueprint for how you got to your decisions so they can understand, maybe they don't agree with it, but they can understand how you got there, I think is fundamentally the responsibility of not only the founder, but the entire managing team. All right, so that was fun. But let's actually keep this conversation going. You've heard what we think about this, but, you know, Ryan and I would really like to hear what you think. And we're online, like, all day long, pretty much talking about every startup topic you could think of, from fundraising to customer acquisition to just really how to get all of this crazy startup stuff out of your head. And there's tons of other founders just like you. They're weighing in on these topics, so you'll get a chance to just hang out and meet some really smart founders. We're also super, super easy to find. You head over to Groups, startups.com and let Ryan and I hear what's on your mind. Let's get to know each other a little bit and let's just start having more of these conversations. 